0: Hey there, for Milo, I am Preston and you are listening to Side Gig, the show about what it really takes to start and run a successful side hustle. You know the host of the show, there's Ryan, Ian, and me, Preston. We've all built growing side businesses while thriving at a nine to five desk job and we want to help you do the same. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's dive right into today's conversation and I'll be back at the end of the show for some parting thoughts. Let's dive right into the conversation. Um, like we mentioned before we hopped on the air, we're going to pick Ryan's brain in this episode today. Uh, and, and obviously I think all three of us will have some input, but but I know we'll have a lot of questions for Ryan. This this surfaced for me, Ryan, because um, I I was looking, I I tried to find it before we hopped on the air. I couldn't find it, but somewhere I was looking and you listed like a bunch of clients that you had worked with. Maybe it was on your Fiverr Pro account or something, but you listed a bunch of previous clients and it it was like, all these big name clients, really cool clients you've worked with. I know you've worked with, you know, obviously people who have listened to the show know you worked, uh, a, a sort of a desk job with like Creative Live, but then you've also done some really cool freelance work, consulting work with like LinkedIn, and maybe maybe give us a rundown of some of maybe the the biggest companies or the coolest companies that you've worked with as a as a freelancer or as a consultant, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that there's a distinction between the biggest and the coolest. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll, throw you, I'll throw you some of the sexy names, right? That people are going to recognize. Um, yeah. LinkedIn, um, I did a project for Google for entrepreneurs. Um, so, a division of Google, not technically Google. Um, they don't really need SEO help, it turns out. Adobe, Intuit, QuickBooks, Crew, Vistaprint, Fundera, SoFi, CloseIO, Acorns, Teachable. Kind of goes on from there, but yeah, that's that's been sort of my experience. I mean, that's that's not all work that I had going at the same time. It's not all stuff that I did in you know one certain year. It's been like a slow accumulation, and and I've kind of found that like overarching takeaways here. Like once you land one big recognizable client, um, the rest have become that much easier for me because I, I exit that first big client with a solid testimonial. Um, I'll ask for referrals and then everything kind of snowballs from there.
0: Okay. So let's back up just a minute then. So, so of these clients was, uh, I'm trying to recall just with previous conversations we've had, was LinkedIn kind of the first big client or or what, what came first in terms of, I guess, yeah, snowball effect.
1: LinkedIn was really the first like big marquee name one. Um, I, I will say I had Creative Live on my resume at the time. That was where I was working sure, full yeah. time. Yeah. Um, when I landed the LinkedIn project. So I was still working my day job at Creative Live. Um, but yeah, the LinkedIn one was, that was kind of a, an interesting story of how it came to me. Should I just kind of dive into it for you?
0: Yeah, yeah that'd yeah, be great because I think the big question is like, how do you, not only how do you get big clients, but, but particularly how do I get my first big client. And obviously, your story is going to be very particular to your situation. But I think we can probably capture a lot of valuable information from it. So yeah, go right for it.
1: Yeah. So for a little bit of extra context, um, I do freelance content marketing. So it's kind of sits at the uh, intersection of digital marketing and freelance writing. So a little bit of both blend them together um and the end result for most of my clients is something that ranks high in organic search or is you know highly shareable content so that's sort of my my end result product um and and the way that the linkedin contract came about is actually kind of crazy um it all really started because of my blog so on my site ryrob.com i have I don't know, by now, probably around 50, 50 long form SEO driven sort of articles um, that mostly tend to rank really, really well in organic search results. And so, talking about things like, you know, how to start a freelance business or how to start a blog, um, how to start a side business, lots of sort of topics like that. And basically, the way that this LinkedIn contract came about was that they were uh, noticing some of my articles ranking really well in freelance-related search terms. So, you know, how to find freelance gigs, things like that. And they were just reaching out to different bloggers that knew how to write well and rank well on freelance-related topics. And it happened to be perfect timing for me. Um, So LinkedIn at the time, uh, before they were acquired by Microsoft, they were ramping up um, the launch of their Profinder network, and so Profinder was kind of their answer to like an Upwork or a Fiverr, um, basically like a, a high quality sort of marketplace for freelancers. Um, but basically, getting paired through LinkedIn with people that need contract based help instead of just full time roles. So the business made sense from them, but they didn't know where to go in terms of building content, building an audience around it, aside from just promoting it internally. So someone from their team actually reached out to me because of my blog posts. Um, and they just sent me a cold email, essentially. So no no crazy story of me doing a ton of hard work. I mean, it, t- it took a lot to sort of parlay that initial conversation into the gig that it ended up being. But as far as the initial conversation, they came to me. I do find it do interesting
2: because... Sorry. I find it really interesting because you did a whole load of work to begin with. But that was yes. essentially what they needed. Um So even though you didn't actively go out and physically look for that client, you was making yourself, um, you you was making it possible that, um, a client of that caliber could actually come along and find you. Um, so I, I think that's what I take from what you said now if you, if you just keep putting out good content, eventually that first big client will find you. Um, I'd be really interested to know how you've actually gone about finding your um, next big client. Like, was you, um, like did 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 you actively go out there and physically find those big clients, or was it because you worked with LinkedIn that those other ones kind of just came into you?
1: No, I'll give you a really good example, actually. Um, So, you know, LinkedIn is this example of basically inbound converting into a really, really solid freelance gig. Um, But something where I did outbound um, is with Fundera. So they're kind of like a personal finance related content on their site. um, And they do like small business loans. Basically, they they have content for entrepreneurs and small business owners on how to run the money side of their business. So, with them, I knew that, you know, hey, this is a, a basically a startup that wants to create tons and tons of content. They regularly publish a ton of stuff on their blog, and I'd already been familiar with them um, just because I see their content ranking well in organic search. So that's kind of my barometer for when I'm evaluating potential clients to pitch is like, okay, who's already kind of on you know, my playing field, they, they already know sort of what to do with content. And maybe they're just looking for people like me who can help accelerate things for Mm. them. So I like going to these clients that that are going to be speaking my language.
0: Yeah. You don't have to convince them it's a good idea to work with you or to, or to Mm. work on content marketing or SEO or anything like that. Like they're already way past that initial phase because I think a lot of, a lot of, freelancers might reach out to the companies who aren't doing anything at all thinking like, oh, that's a huge mm-hmm. gap. But what they don't realize is then they have to convince a potential client that they even should be doing it in the first place, which means the client has to find budget for it. And there's this whole barrier to entry that doesn't exist when, I, I love that point, when when they're already doing yeah. some of the things that you would be doing for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a huge difference between what you're actually pitching. That's how I sort of view it. Oh, so. uh, yeah. For me, that's with the Fundera example. And then, you know, very similar story with, with uh, landing my project at Zendesk too. Um, basically, the way that I landed both of those clients was by featuring them on my blog. And this is something that anyone can do. You don't have to have a crazy successful blog with, you know, millions of readers in order to use this strategy. But what I did was I, I mentioned Fundera within one of my articles about, I think it was about business ideas, side business ideas. And so I mentioned Fundera as one of these resources where you can go to get, you know, capital to fund your business growth. And so after I, you know, mentioned them in this blog post, um, I I made sure that the post already looked like it did really well. So I bought some Facebook ads. I kind of injected some early social sharing to do, to just make it look like a lot of people are reading it basically before many people really were reading it. Um, And then after I, Made this article look successful. After about a week of promoting it, I reached out to, just cold emailed um, the marketing director at Fundera. I think it was content marketing director. So very specifically, going towards someone that I believed to be a decision maker about yeah. their freelance writers and their content marketers. Anyone external that they would hire to do content. Um, and I had no guarantees that they would, you know, hire me or that they would want to even hire external writers, but. I kind of try and maximize my chances by just reaching out to the person that has the highest possible um, chance of being the decision maker. Um, and yeah, that was that was basically it. I just cold emailed her. I said, hey, <clears throat> you know, very, very um, particular about the way that I structured this email. I said, hey, I featured you guys over here on my blog. This post is already doing really, really well. Would you mind just checking it out and making sure I got the mention correct? And so I want to be clear." I didn't pitch them on anything in that original email. So I'm right. not asking them to pay me. I'm not asking to do a guest post. There's, there's no ask on my end whatsoever, aside from, hey, check out this cool ass thing I just did for you. Can you make sure I quoted you correctly? And then the conversation grew from there. And then I eventually spun it into a pitch.
2: Can I just quickly ask like the contact details that you've got? how did you, How did you go about finding those?
1: Oh, Ian, this is one of my favorite questions. (laughs) (laughs) I love doing this stuff. (laughs) So the the way that I do it has kind of changed a little bit as the tools grow, evolve, and change. Um, But at the time, I was using this Chrome extension for Gmail that was called Reportive, R-A-P-P-O-R-T-I-V-E. And it has since been acquired by LinkedIn. Um, which has actually made it a better tool. So it's it's now part of LinkedIn Sales Navigator, but it's a free extension still that you can get for Chrome. It connects to your Gmail. Um, and basically what that allows you to do is to type in your uh, suspected email address for the person you want to reach out to. So, you know, for this example, it would be Ryan at Fundera.com or, you know, maybe some alternative possibilities Ryan.Robinson at Fundera.com. You know, you can kind of Cycle through the top five most common um, email naming conventions, and you'll usually find your person. And and basically, what you do is you you type these into your draft in Gmail. Um, and then, when you hover your cursor over these email addresses, if that email address is indeed associated with someone's LinkedIn account, then a little information sidebar is going to pop up to the right of your email, and it's going to populate their picture, their LinkedIn profile, their Twitter profile, and you know, basically this is a a form of validation. And so I'll I'll just basically cycle through all the possible email naming um, conventions for someone I want to reach out to. And then once I hit the right one, boom, that's it. Um, Some cases, you know, you can like Google someone's email, find them, um, find them on Twitter. Sometimes people advertise it on LinkedIn. Um, But this, this method is how I still do it today and it works
0: flawlessly. I love that. Can I, I'll share too, if I can Ian, how I do it. It's pretty similar to Ryan's and I know there are like dozens dozens of extensions out there um, that do similar things. I use an extension, a Chrome extension called Hunter. I think it's at Hunter.io. And what it does is it's instead of uh, in your Gmail sort of, sort of making your best guess. And this actually can actually work together with Ryan's as well. But basically you visit a site, like if you were to visit, you know, fundera.com it would pull up a list of known email addresses at that domain, and if they have titles, it would pull up their title as well. So it pulls up um, known email addresses, and then it uses like uh, some sort of algorithm to to decide what the most likely structure of the email address is at that company. Then on top of that, what you can do is go to LinkedIn search employees, maybe search like content marketing or content director or director, or, you know, whatever your keywords are in the, in the advanced search in LinkedIn. And you can put that person's name right into the Hunter extension and it will tell you this is the most likely email address for that person that you are trying to reach, and it's an eighty-three percent likelihood or whatever. And I that's how I've reached out to sponsors and partners and affiliates and all sorts of different people with a huge amount of success.
2: And I'll so plus
0: one that
2: it's a great sorry. tool. I was going to ask, so, so you guys are combine, combining this with LinkedIn? Are you just using the bog standard LinkedIn? Um, profile, or are you having to um, pay for the premium one to to access that data?
1: I'm standard personally, yes. So me I, too. I, I don't pay mm-hmm. for anything.
0: Me too. All, all I'm using it for is to look up current employees at the company. Anyone who has self-identified it as an employee at the company, mm-hmm. and then you can search in an advanced search. You can filter. Just employees of the company with certain titles. So, like, I might put marketing in the Mm -hmm. title, or I might put sponsorships in the title, or I might put, you know, partnerships or something in the title. And then it shows me if there's anyone at a company who has self identified as someone who works in the marketing department. And sometimes I end up getting, you know, the intern who works in the marketing department, but sometimes that'll lead me to, you know, get in touch with the director or the VP or whoever. So, um, it's just a matter of sort of finding the right names. And then if you plug it into Hunter, It'll give you the most likely email address.
2: Sounds really good because what I've done historically um, when finding um, email addresses, I've just gone on the website and um, found the information there. And obviously, a lot of those contact details they don't go directly to the person you want to. It goes through multiple layers. So I'm kind of, I know, I think we mentioned these things before on the podcast. But even now, I'm still like, I really need to do that. Um, so that's really good. So I I um Ryan, I, I wanted to ask so um the first email, you kind of done it as, as almost like an introduction, showing what you've done, you're just sharing, you're not selling at that point. So I I understand it as is almost like making a connection, making um a friend. How are you then going in for the sale? What's what's your next steps to actually convert that
1: um that contact into a physical client great question and you know to be 100% honest um, it's never the exact same path so it always depends on what the initial response is from the person so uh, that has been a whole range of different responses that I've gotten from like you know Steli close IO um, when I did this tactic on him two years ago he replied and pretty much was immediately like hey how can we get you to do something like this for our blog? And so some people will basically automatically connect the dots of like, hey, you know, this this happens to be something similar to what we need and we need it right now. And so, you know, some of those people obviously aren't going to need your services right now. And that's okay. That's not, you know, nothing against you. It's just a timing thing. But with, I think with the Fundera one in particular, um, it took about... Two to three weeks to materialize into a deal. Um, And basically, when she replied to the first email I sent, um, she said, Yep, that mention looks great. Didn't add anything else. It was pretty, you know, uh, pretty dead from the perspective of like, Oh my gosh, am I going to be able to spin this into a paid project? Um, But what I responded to after that was basically just like, Awesome, this looks great. Um, You know, you guys produce some awesome content on your blog as well would you be interested in taking some uh, more outside contributed pieces? Um, So again, didn't upfront ask about, you know, what's your budget or how much can you pay me per article? I was saying, I'm probing for, are you taking pieces from external writers? Um, And then from there, the conversation turned into, you know, yes, we do. Um, We'd be interested in testing something. Um, And I structured it as sort of just a a one-time post- To test out a paid project with them. And, and um, then eventually from there, it turned into more of a monthly retainer deal. But that's, that's how I typically end up structuring the start of most of my contracts is that I'll do like a, a one post test and then show them, you know, the way that I promote. And then from there, spin it into more of a retainer deal.
0: Hey everyone, it's Preston here with a quick interruption to tell you about this insanely cool company called Ecosia. With Ecosia, you can literally plant trees while you search the web. See, they use over 80% of their profits to plant trees around the world. They plant in hotspots around the globe where the value will be greatest for the environment and the communities living there. Plus, Ecosia is a privacy-friendly search engine. They believe that an individual's personal data, including their search queries, are their own business and no one else's. You can learn more at ecosia.co. That's E-C-O-S-I-A dot C-O slash And now, back to the
2: show. I feel like you've answered my question and I don't have any more questions <laughs> to expand <to>
1: that. <laughs> that is a good answer. I really want to add something um, because a lot of people ask me about how do I follow up with people who don't respond to my first email? Um, so I do a ton of cold emailing. I, I write about this a lot on my blog too. Um, if you just Google search cold email, Ryan Robinson, I have a ton of content around how I personally do this and templates and things like that. Um, But I want to talk for just like one minute about follow-ups because there's always this question I get from different freelancers like, okay, you know, how long do I wait before I follow up on that pitch I sent last week? Or should I email someone else um, if I don't get a reply from the first person I tried emailing? Um, And personally, I believe, and this is something that, uh, you know, I work with Steli at Close.io a lot. He's really drilled this into me as well, um, that there is no end to following up ever until you get a clear yes or a clear no. And so I personally believe that especially with freelance projects um you know you're trying to insert yourself into someone else's established business and processes so you have to make a case for yourself. You can't be shy or ashamed from, you know, asking for paid projects and really demanding what you feel that you're worth and honestly it's going to take following up with most people in order to get to a reply it's the exception when i go from cold email straight to you know a nice casual flow all the way to a contract being signed so i'll usually sort of stagger my follow ups i don't try and email someone every single day until they reply I'll, I'll add little gaps of time you know when i send my first email um if i don't hear back within 3 days I'll reply on that same thread. I'll just assume that they're busy. Um, And I'll basically sort of keep that cadence going of every three or so days, um, sort of depending upon who the person is, how busy they might be. Um, And if I don't hear back after three or four follow-ups, I'll just reach out to someone else on their team. Um, I'm going to assume that either they're not the best fit to have this conversation with me or... Um, they're just too damn busy straight up. And so I don't take it any of it personally ever. Um, and I'll just keep going on down the line until I'm able to speak with someone and get a clear yes or a clear no.
0: I'm curious. And, so I've done some cold outreach as well. Uh, obviously, we talk a lot about it at Milo as well. We have a, a sort of workbook course for for cold emailing. I recommend in the course... Well, I don't know if I recommend, I give the option, I share that there's the option to sort of automate your follow-up, right? That I agree with you, mm-hmm. the power of the follow-up is incredible. Follow-up at scale can be quite difficult, and I've come back and forth in my own business between, uh, you know, all manual follow-up, just keeping track like in a Trello board or somewhere, when I need to follow up with whom, uh, but, but I've also sort of swung the complete opposite where I automate it all through something like reply.io. And, uh, and I try to humanize that as much as I can. But, but then I started getting a lot of those myself from other people, and it started to feel really robotic. Do you I mean, Ryan, what's, what's your take on, on, you know, automation? Is there a good balance there? Do you at all? Do you do it all by hand? Or, you know, sort of manually? Or, or what's, what's your take?
1: I don't know if it's like old school or what, but I really do shy away from automation tools when it comes to following up in my freelance business. So that that I view as a much more important sort of like... Uh, B, I mean, well, first of all, it's B2B. So I think that the sales cycle is just always going to be longer. And I don't want to have the chance of my automation somehow sending the wrong message at the wrong time mm, or... Yeah. you know tripping myself up at all. But I mean, I'll use, I guess you could sort of say that some of the tools I use um, are automation-ish because they, they help me remember when I need to follow up. So I, I do actually use Close.io for managing my email for my freelance business. And, and you can basically trigger follow-ups. You can do this in something like Gmail too, um, the new Gmail or using Inbox by Gmail both have the options to sort of just snooze emails and so after right. immediately after sending an email I'm going to snooze that or I'm going to set a follow up reminder for two or three days from now if I if no one's replied on this thread bring this back to my inbox and that's kind of sets it as the next to do and I I do always write sort of somewhat personalized messages at least I have some stuff that I kind of keep as like you know canned responses or canned follow ups but um I'm always personally sending them and, and trying to customize it a little bit, at
0: least. I like that. I, I've, I've tend you know, over the last, I guess, eight months or so, I've tended to lean that way more as well. It just, I don't know if it's becoming more common, but people can see right through the, the, hey, just checking in one more time. And then in their email, it says, Three days ago, six days ago, nine days ago, 12 days ago. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm just on like an endless loop until I respond to this email or whatever. So, I, Well,
1: it, I'll tell you what What did it for me, what made me go back to full personalization, because I've experimented with automation. Um, yeah. But to be honest with you, it's, it's just the volume of automated crap I get and how I feel <laughs> exactly. when I see those messages or read them. So... I just assume that everyone else, you know, gets the same volume of crappy
0: sales emails. And so I want to write something personal. That happened to me too. I started getting emails and I was getting them from like people I had responded to. So I'd responded to people and had whole conversations with them. And then six days later, I would get this like, hey, just wanted to make sure you saw my email. And I'm like, hold on. Clearly your automation software is crappy and and what I'm worried about is that like my automation software is just as bad as yours. You know what I mean? And I don't want that I don't want to give that experience. And particularly it's one thing when you're like asking to guest blog on someone's site, which is what a lot of requests I get are. But when when um you know, when you're asking when you're trying to impress someone, land a new client that could potentially be a a five figure deal or something, you don't wanna look like you don't have control of your own email or something like that.
1: Exactly. And are those things deal killers?
0: I don't know.
1: Not necessarily. Right. But you don't want to look like a goofball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: I've got a slightly um, off topic question um, about this. I'm, I'm thinking um, when you've actually got in touch with these big clients, I, I know based on what you said, it sounds like a fairly casual conversation and you're um, agreeing something. Uh, do you have any like or would you ever prepare any like PDF document that explains more about you and your services that you might want to send over? Because that's the type of thing that I would think that I would need to do for some of these big clients so that they like understand who I am and what I can offer them. Do you do anything like that? Or are you just f- keeping it fairly casual, like like what it sounds like?
1: That's a really good question and something I definitely should have clarified Um it depends on the client. So with like Zendesk, Fundera, um, they're a little smaller. I mean, they're startups. They have a couple hundred employees, um, but they're not like a super huge enterprise company. And so with with the Zendesk and the Funderas companies of that size, um, I basically just did a proposal within the body of an email. So essentially, just a few paragraphs um, outlining the key points that I proposed doing for them. Um, and and that sufficed for companies that size. But with LinkedIn, that was a whole other beast, and that did require sort of a PDF-style proposal that was maybe five or six pages in length. Um, but basically, just going into more depth with more clear timelines and you know delivery dates and milestones. Like that was much more of an ordeal, and that had to be reviewed by multiple different people internally, and so. You know that that was one of my big takeaways too. That um, enterprise companies companies that are just massive they have a very specific um, procurement process. So you have to go through certain internal stakeholders and sign off from different people that you may not even know about, and go through their you know invoicing setup process and get paid ninety days after you send them an invoice. Like there's there's a lot of crazy things about working with enterprise companies that. Um, some people may or may not like personally. That experience working with LinkedIn um, is what made very clear to me that I would rather work with um, more of the scrappier startup, you know, size 50 to a couple of hundred in size. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, Ian, um, I usually have some form of proposal, whether it's in the body of an email um, or something that I whip up more customized.
2: Okay, sounds really good. And um, how do you know what to actually put in that? Is that just driven based on what the client specifically um, has asked for? Because I know you mentioned about um, timescales and stuff like that. Is that something that you would just put in there anyway? Where how how
1: have you been able to find out what to actually put in that document? That's all. Basically, it's everything that I'm proposing. So I'll usually take the first crack at timelines. Um, So you know, if I'm, let's go back in time just a week, if I'm talking to someone and we're close to getting a deal closed and it's like, you know, nearing the end of June, I'm going to propose that the new contract starts on July 1st. And then based on that, I'm going to say, you know, the first post is delivered by July 15th, the second one by July 30th, um, you know, this milestone on this date. And so I kind of take the, I guess, first swing at mapping out, those bigger deliverables and timelines and things like that. Um, but sometimes it is informed by conversations I've had with the uh, prospect beforehand.
0: I would say maybe one, one sort of overarching theme that I'm sensing here, and I I'm a believer in this as well is make it as easy as possible for them uh, to not only make a decision but to to say yes that their decision be yes right like mm-hmm. instead of sending a fully loaded pdf over that they have to then download they might be on their phone it might be a pain to download and view on a phone like it there's still a lot of business that happens on a on a desktop or on a laptop um but mm-hmm. instead of instead of having something they have to download or a word doc or a whatever maybe maybe a link or maybe right in the body of the email like you suggested Ryan Makes it really easy for them to scan and see what's going on, you know, really short, sort of, you're always a copywriter when you're selling, like really short explanations. And then like you said, Ryan, if you offer the timelines and the deadlines and the cost and everything, and they can just say yes or no, um, ideally yes, or, you know, come back with revisions or something it just makes the whole process go a lot smoother instead of saying like, okay, when do you need this buy? When do you need this buy? When do you need this buy? And then they have to come back with all of these dates and it can be overwhelming for them and it can really draw out the, the process of actually making the deal.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, I think maybe there's, There are some tools you can use to help make these processes easier, right? Like a hello sign for just doing quick contracts or, you know, bonsai that has some more in-depth contracts, things like that. But I I mean, I'm always a fan of trying to just make it extremely simple, like ridiculously simple. I'm I'm not going to whip up a proposal at all unless I feel that I really need one or they ask me for one.
0: Yeah. Mine's always deal points in an email. Um, and oftentimes that serves as our contract even like, um, yeah, like just hit a reply
1: themselves. to this email and yeah. say that that's good to go.
0: Yeah. Well, good. We're we're at about a half hour here, folks. I, I mean, what, what have we, what have we left out? What do we want to tackle in the last couple minutes here of the episode? I think this has been really, really enlightening.
2: I think it's been really solid. Like from my side, I can't physically think of anything more. I, I guess the only thing that I would probably expect, respect from this is like knowing specifically how to get that first big client. And, uh, that sounds like a difficult one to answer. And based on what Ryan said, you just need to keep doing good content that is on the same playground as, um, the, the clients that you want to reach. And hopefully they will eventually find you. I don't know. That's probably something that mm. we could look to
0: address if possible. I mean, I think it'd that up a little bit. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Ryan.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my whole philosophy is basically using my blog or, you know, a portfolio site or something like that to go out and highlight examples of what I can do for my prospective clients. And so that's, that drives everything. My blog drives my entire sales process. So that may not be the best fit for everyone. And I think you can get away with not having a blog, um, if you're doing just strictly cold outreach, um, but you have to basically figure out a way to instill confidence in the people that you're reaching out to. You want them to immediately make a connection that you're a good potential fit to help them out with what you're pitching them on. Otherwise, you know, if they, if you're a freelance writer and they can't find anything about you online or find any portfolio pieces of yours, why would they hire you? So that's that's again what everything comes back to for me is how do you make it very very easy for them. To say yes, and that's through giving them examples, whether it's you know in a Google Doc that you can send over or published publicly somewhere where they can just click through and check them out and and the stronger that you make those examples, um, the more confidence you're gonna build with them.
2: Mm, that's really good, so basically just keep creating good content and then. Um, you know, actually start reaching out to potential businesses that you can work with, and if your work's on the right caliber, you are taking the right approach, then fingers crossed, you should be able to get those clients. I think all the informa- I think all of the advice in this um, uh, podcast is is really good, and I can't think of any more
0: questions. Just need to go out there now and physically try it out myself. <laughs> and I think when you say create good content, you, you know, you, potential clients just want. Security assurance that that you can do the kind of work that they need done. That might be, um, you know, a really cool Instagram account where you've published designs or photos or some or whatever work you're pitching. You know, that might be a LinkedIn account that has s- some really great examples of your work. Like, you don't have to create a, a blog that gets two hundred thousand visitors in a month just just to be able to, you know, do some cold outreach. That obviously works for Ryan because a lot of the work he's doing is around getting traffic and and that sort of thing to a blog. I mean, it's he's created the very thing that he's selling. So if you can do that anywhere and show that you can create it and, and solve the problem that they're looking to solve, then, then you're in. All right, guys. Thank you so much for the conversation today. I think it's been extremely helpful. I, for one, found a lot of value in it, and hopefully the listeners have as well. We'd love to hear from you. If say. you enjoyed the conversation, mm-hmm. you can reach us at shows at millow.co. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think about this episode. Next episode, we're going to chat a, a little bit more about inbound uh, client, uh, getting clients sort of via inbound like uh, search. And I'm really slaughtering this. This is quite a pitch I'm giving here. But basically, we're going to talk about uh, how Ian uses search and social media to to generate new business all the time. It's going to be a great episode. So stick with us for for the next show. And for now, we'll say goodbye. Thanks, guys there it is. A big thanks to Ryan and Ian for their help with today's episode. Be sure to check out their podcasts in the show notes of this episode as well. Before we jump off the air remember to visit SideGigShow.com where you can subscribe to receive regular updates about this show and other podcasts by Milo as well SideGig is a production of Milo you can learn more about us and listen to our other podcasts at M-I-L-L-O C-O. This show was edited by the very talented Danny Gilman at EchoPodMedia.com. Thanks Danny Keep hustling, everybody, and we will see you in the next episode of Side Gig.